You're listening to Season 9 of Mobile Suit Breakdown, a weekly podcast covering the entirety of sci-fi mega-franchise Mobile Suit Gundam, researching its influences, examining its themes, and discussing how each piece of the Gundam canon fits within the changing context in Japan and the world from 1979 to today. This is episode 9.11, Music Soothes the Savage Beast. And we are your hosts. I'm Tom, Gundam fan and intergalactic rock and roll roadie. And I'm Nina, and they say that when you're tired of Gundam, you're tired of living. Who, who says that? Bandai Namco Filmworks, a wholly owned subsidiary of Bandai Namco Entertainment Incorporated, a company very excited to sell you Gundam merchandise for every part of your home and aspect of your life. Yeah, that makes sense. They would say that. Mobile Suit Breakdown is made possible by 708 paying subscribers. Thank you all for keeping us Genki, and special thanks to our newest patrons, Ben S., Shima Apologist, and Akagai is Best Guy. Postscript, we usually thank new patrons within a week or two of them signing up. If I seem to have missed you, please reach out and let me know. Patreon changed some things in their interface and notifications, which have made it a bit easier to miss people, but it's important to us to acknowledge everyone. Uh, this also applies if you happen to change your name and would like to be thanked under a different name. Uh, reach out and we are happy to do that. Two more special shoutouts this week. The first to Mongoose and Son for supporting us on Kofi, and the second, I mentioned this in the talkback, but patron Mosquitoes offered their services as a native Japanese speaker uh, to help us with some of the trickier parts of transcribing and translating this short. We definitely could not have gotten through that song without their help. So thank you very much, Mosquitoes. The translation will stand in lieu of research this week, and you'll find a link in the show notes to our translation. This week, we're covering the first of three independent stories that make up SD Gundam movie SD Gundam Matsuri, or SD Gundam Festival, which played in theaters starting on March 13, 1993. The first segment, SD Command War Chronicle Gundam Force Super G Arms Final Formula vs. Norm Gather, runs 14 minutes from titles to credits, and depicts a deep space sci-fi battle between the heroic Captain F-91 of the Super G Arms Task Force and his rival, the villainous Führer Commander of Cosmosaterion, plus the rock bands and eldritch monstrosities that keep interfering. Some English sources, including the Gundam Wiki and the Anime News Network Encyclopedia, list Final Formula vs. Normgather as the last part of SD Gundam Matsuri rather than the first, but this is contradicted by the Japanese sources, the NADB database, our own home video copies, and the original posters for the movie, which all list it first, so we're going with that order. Final Formula vs. Norm Gather was directed by Amino Tetsuro, who oversaw the creation of most of the animated SD Gundam content that we've already covered. In the three years since the release of SD Gundam Mark V in 1990, Amino stayed busy, directing OVA adaptations of the body high school rom-com YJ Ban Lemon Angel, the fish-out-of-water comedy High School Jingi about a Yakuza who becomes a high school social studies teacher, and the medieval fantasy epic Heroic Legend of Arslan, as well as the 52-episode soccer anime Ashtae Free Kick. 
1994, Amino will reunite with many of the staff from SD Gundam Matsuri to make Macross 7, another show about a deep space band changing the course of desperate battles through the power of rock and roll. For this reason, Final Formula vs. Normgather is sometimes described as a precursor to the more famous Macross 7. Besides showcasing remarkably good animation for an SD short, the most distinctive feature of the film is the so-called rock opera, performed diegetically during the course of the film by the band Penalty Kick Oldies, in five movements that, in full, run for more than 20 minutes, significantly longer than the short itself. The lyrics for the rock opera were written by Amino Tetsuro, and the piece was composed by Kenji Kawai. Orikasa Ai, the voice of lead singer Tron Chan, also performed the song in a legendarily grueling marathon recording session that ran until after midnight, and saw Amino rewriting lyrics on the fly to make them better fit the tempo of the anime, to the mounting frustration of sound director Otsuki Toshimichi. Orikasa Ai is a prolific voice actor with too many prominent roles to name here, but she is going to have major parts in both Victory Gundam and Gundam Wing, and has already played Al's mother Michiko in 0080 War in the Pocket, as well as cool rocker girl Dorothy Moore in F91. Her co-stars in the short included Matsumoto Yasunori playing Captain F91. He previously voiced Night Gundam in the SD Gundam Gaiden series, as well as Yanada Kiyoyuki, who voiced Cyclopean Crossbone Vanguard Ace pilot Zabine in F91 and Gun Cannon the Fighter in SD Gundam Gaiden, played the Führer Commander. The character design for Tron-chan was done by Kia Asamiya, and she was named for his company, Tron Studio, which was in turn named for the Disney movie Tron. Final Formula vs. Normgather is loosely adapted from the manga series SD Command Senki, the Senki, or War Chronicle, in the title is the same word that was used in the name of the Kaku Senki genre that I explored back in episode 9.2. Command Senki largely follows the exploits of Command Gundam, the same one who showed up in SD Gundam Warrior Knight Command Emergency Scramble. The first arc, G-Arms, is focused on Special Forces-style military operations. The second arc, Gundam Force, focuses on first responders in a near-future city, and the third, Super G-Arms, moves the setting into space, which is where SD Gundam Matsuri picks up the story. So now, the recap. In the depths of space, two factions are at war. The bad guys, Cosmo Zatarion, and the good guys, Super G-Arms. Into this conflict, a new ally arrives to join Super G-Arms, the rock band Penalty Kick Oldies. Yes, they really are a band, and while music might be a metaphorical weapon, demoralizing the enemy and encouraging the Super G-Arms, the Penalty Kick Oldies also have weapon weapons, and they do some serious damage to the enemy fleet while dodging every attack aimed their way. While everyone is preoccupied with the latest skirmish, a member of Cosmos Atarion, Führer Commander, tries to sneak away, but is pursued by those pesky penalty kick oldies. He has sent word for Captain F91, a member of Super G Arms, to meet him for a private duel, and the captain decides to go, keeping his destination and purpose secret from the rest of the Super G Arms team. Despite admonitions from both parties in the duel to stay out of it, the penalty kick oldies continue to harry Führer Commander with music, taunts, and explosives. On the Super G-Arms ship, 
Command F-90 sneaks a peek at the private letter Captain F-91 received, hoping for a clue as to what his comrade is up to. What he finds is instant cause for panic. The location of the duel is planet Denomos, where, unbeknownst to the duelists, the superhuman battle machine Gather is held captive. The energy released by the duel has already awakened the Gather from stasis. Only the containment switch is keeping it from breaking out and putting the whole universe in danger. So of course, one of the duelists steps on a hidden switch in the ground, causing the containment switch to open out of the side of a huge stone tower. The lead singer of the penalty kick oldies sits on the switch, and the enormous monster Gather is freed. Fuhrer Commander and Captain F-91 set aside their duel to focus on this new enemy, but when they attempt to flank the Gather, it splits in two and the duelists collide. They are engulfed in a crackling, glowing ball of energy, and when the light dissipates, they have combined into a single, dragon-like mobile suit, capable of stopping the Gather in its tracks and trapping it once more. So initially, when I looked at the band, when I looked at Penalty Kick Oldies, I was wondering if Tronchan, if their lead singer, was the only human. But now, I actually think they're all mobile suits, including Tronchan. <laughs> She's some sort of advanced, like, flesh mecha. She's an android? I don't know. but I mean, she is, like, running around in deep space. Exactly. With no helmet, no suit. Apparently, she's totally fine just zooming around space. So obviously, it's not which ones are human. They are all sentient mecha. No, no, she's just protected by a field of Musikovsky particles. Tchaikovsky particles? I don't know. The power of music keeps her safe in deep space. Tchaikovsky particles was good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was looking ahead at my next notes, and so I missed a beat. And then once it hit me, I was like, oh, that's, that's <laughs> funny. That deserved a laugh. The design of the band is really fun, although I'm sure I've missed a lot of small details in it. For instance, I have no idea what mobile suits the various bandmates are, though I bet Tom is about to tell us. <laughs> I, I think actually a lot of them are unique to oh, the band. Okay. I know they have names like Hurricane Gundam, <laughs> Heavy Metal Gundam. Amazing. As SD Gundam has gone on, and at this point you can really see it, it has deviated pretty far from the source material. Like, one of these characters is based in some sense on the F-91 Gundam, but like, why is he gold? Visually, character-wise, we're really only taking the barest, like, hints from the original source material. I actually wonder how many of the members of the band are based on actual musicians, because they have uh, quite a few pretty distinctive traits in their design. The designs are fun. They're moving around so much throughout the episode, you don't necessarily get much time to appreciate them unless you're pausing it a lot like we were. <laughs> the mask that the drummer is wearing is like the Blobby Gundams, kind of? A little bit, or, yeah. Uh, and then another one is wearing a sort of Jason-esque hockey mask. Mm -hmm. Tronchan's hair is green with red bangs. It's like lime green with red bangs. One of them has sort of ginger hair, but it's in a swoop. One of them has like hair metal style, just like 
a massive amount of blonde hair. Ah, is it hair metal or is it Tengu hair metal? Because doesn't that kind of look like the big shrubbery sized mane of hair that you sometimes see in depictions of Tengu? Or characters based on them like Shiftree from Pokemon? That's true, but in that case, I would expect to see that hair on the character wearing Geta instead of on a separate one. Fair. And you cannot deny the luxurious locks of many a hair metal performer or a <laughs> glam rock band. In the story of Super G-Arms, the penalty kick oldies are actually all in disguise to protect their identities. This isn't just... <laughs> So this is a, a gem and the holograms almost. Wait, are gem and the holograms in disguise? Are they superheroes? I actually don't remember. <laughs> I was going to make the Ziggy Stardust comparison because mm. they're also they're also a band in their real lives. But when they become a, a battle band to stand up to Cosmo Zeterion, they have to put on these disguises to protect their secret identities. <laughs> so it's not just costumery. Yeah, they're cool designs, very heavy metal, very visual yeah. K, kind of, like, over the top. I got strong visual K vibes from the lavender-haired one, because he's wearing, like, a, a loose tank top, like the kind of shirt that sort of hangs on a skinny body and feels like it's not covering much of anything. <laughs> uh, one of the bandmates is wearing getta, is wearing, like, the big wooden tall sandals that are very traditional in Japan. Which is part of what made me wonder if they're inspired by specific people, because that feels awfully specific. And I can imagine a rock star wearing them as part of their look. Oh, yeah. One of them, one of his arms is a different color, so it's like he's wearing one sleeve. Tronchan is wearing cutoffs and a little, like, vest that looks like the sort of leather jacket vest style, but in a bright color. Uh, lots of fun design that feels very heavily inspired by, if not directly lifted from, rock stars and pop stars. Tronchan, she's the most toned down, probably, of all of the designs, um, except for the, like, two-tone hair with the bright red in the center, and then most of her hair is bright green. When she first shows up on screen, before we know who she is, I thought she might be based on Kiara from Double Zeta. Yeah, same. Um, I wonder if she's not just, like, also based on Cyndi Lauper. And I think we're right to think of kind of like mainstream, popular musical artists for a couple of different reasons. But one of the big ones is that their ship is clearly inspired by those big like stadium shows or the kinds of huge concerts that you have at festivals over the summer. Because the stage that they have on their ship is huge. There are all these laser lights. There's... Uh, I don't think we see the machine, but there's smoke as if from a smoke machine. And it is like a converted battleship. And so it made me think of that really famous performance that Cher did on the deck of that like U.S. Navy ship. Everywhere that ought to be like an engine is actually a speaker. When Tronchan is jetting around space, her quote unquote verniers are actually speakers. Everything about it reads huge, sold-out concert, uh, Rolling Stones at the Budokan kind of thing. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like I should clarify. <laughs> the Budokan is a very famous venue in Japan. Budokan means it's built for martial arts. It's made for, like, martial arts competitions and huge events. Uh, but a number of famous concerts have also occurred there. I 
believe the Rolling Stones one is one of the most famous to have happened there, but it was a big concert venue for a long time, and I think still is. Like a lot of live concert recordings are done at the Budokan. Like there are a lot of albums that are such and such band live at the Budokan. It must have great acoustics then, or like a good recording setup or something. Anyway, they are that kind of band. (laughs) Centering the band like this in the episode really just hits you real hard over the head with how good the music is and how prominent it is in the episode. And thinking about that really drives home how important music has been for SD Gundam throughout its whole run. The music has always been standout. It was very different from the sort of music we expect from Gundam, especially in this period, but it was carving out its own niche for itself. And the music from those early SD Gundams really stands on its own. They released albums of the SD Gundam music. I listened to a couple of the tracks from one of those albums as we were trying to figure out what the song lyrics in this episode were saying. And they're fun tracks. They're it's good music. Mm-hmm. It's poppier. It's it's more rock and roll than Gundam is accustomed to giving us. It's a it's sort of an undiscovered gem that there's all this good music hidden away inside the old SD Gundam stuff that most people skip. The music also plays a really important role in keeping the energy of this episode up, even in its uh, slower moments, because there are a few of those where they take a little extra time for transformation sequences, for reveals of the big bad and such, and provides another point of comedy that fits really well with the show. Shout out to patron Mosquitoes, who helped us with this translation. We could not have gotten the song translated without them because sung Japanese is much harder to understand than spoken. Also, because usually when we're trying to translate a work, part of what we're doing is comparing what we hear to what would make sense in the context. But a bunch of the song is extremely silly. It doesn't necessarily make sense. And the context is not always helpful in determining what they are singing about. That contrast, though, contributes to the overall sort of humor and ridiculousness of the short itself. But the song does have a lot to do with the events of the show, for the most part. Yeah. The song is being played by the characters as the events happen. And really, they're making it up as they go along. And it is about what is happening in front of them in particularly dangerous moments, you get uh, Tron Chan singing like, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to die. I'm fine, I'm fine. And I love the whole sequence after she sits on the switch, not knowing what it is, and releases the enemy, uh, has a whole verse about like, I don't know anything about that. It wasn't me. I don't know anything about that. (laughs) It doesn't have anything to do with me, I swear. Uh, It's sometimes said of Amino Tetsuro, the director, that it's actually characteristic for him to really focus on the interplay of the music and the visuals. And in this case, when he had his meeting with Kenji Kawai and the recording director and the rest of the sort of sound and music staff uh, and gave them their instructions for what he wanted for the music, the the music menu, um, he had it all laid out really precisely. Like at this second, the music needs to be like this. At this moment, it needs to be like this. It needs to be like this for this amount of time and then shift to this other, like really, really precise to a degree that was um, shocking and alarming to Kawai and the, the rest of the music staff. And this is why Amino was there for the recording session, rewriting the lines as they went, 
to make sure that they fit with the timing that he had worked out for this whole thing. It's incredible to think about. Must have been so, so, so much work. It is very striking to the extent that you are able to follow along with the Japanese. If you are, if you read Hiragana, uh, we will include those translations along with the episode as a whole, and parts of it are in the episode dialogue as well. Uh, but the way the syllables fit with the tempo of the music, even as the tempo of the music uh, changes and shifts. And it is constantly changing. It's quite impressive how they managed to construct all these lines, all these lyrics to sort of fit perfectly. And it often doesn't feel like a stretch. It doesn't feel like they are uh, sort of twisting and pulling the syllables <laughs> to make them fit. It feels very much like it fits together. A lot of those early SD Gundam shorts, the directing was a little rough, like the timing was off, the cuts weren't quite right. And here it's just absolutely nailed. All those years of practice, all those rough drafts have clearly paid off because they did a great job on this one. In terms of the visuals, it's also a very good looking short. When I initially watched it, my thought was like, oh wow, the animation in this is great. Um, on further and closer examination, I think to be a little bit more precise, often the animation is not particularly good, <laughs> um, which is not to say that it's bad, just that there's not a lot of it going on because the character designs for Fuhrer Commander and F-91 are so complicated. Yes, all the mobile suit characters really they, feel yeah. uh, very detailed. Fuhrer Commander, by the way, who's like got dragon mouths coming off of him in every different direction. Everyone's incredibly spiky, um, and they're, obviously their limbs don't allow for a whole lot of motion. He's supposed to be based on the Mark II Gundam, <laughs> which I... Sure, whatever. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Might as well be. If this short had been made now, I would say that these designs were intended for 3D CGI, where you can get away with greater design complexity because you only have to model it once. But in this case, it's actually because these designs were made for manga, where you do have to draw them over and over again, but not nearly as many times as when you're doing animation. You can, however, see the direct design lineage that connects these to the SD Gundam designs that are being made now, which are being animated in 3D CGI. So yeah, often, especially with the mobile suits doing the fighting, they're just kind of posing at each other. There's not a ton of animation, but the effects work. Yeah, is okay. real good. The effects do an enormous amount to cover up the lack of actual movement. And when the band is playing, they, they did animate the band. Well, they'd have to because it's the band that is really the uh, emotional core of the short, which is to say the source of most of the humor. Not all of it, but most. As with most other SDs, a lot of the humor has been very slapstick, very Looney Tunes. There is this uh, irreverent kind of rock and roll attitude to the band, but not in a way that's really threatening. Like, they're writing graffiti on enemy ships and on enemy mobile suits themselves, but it's all silly doodles of, like, dragons. <laughs> and, you know, it's nothing mm. very uh, racy or, or revolutionary. They pull faces, but it's, you know, it's just the, like, sticking a tongue out 
pulling the eyelid down, going, It's very much about tweaking the noses of these pompous, self-serious mobile suits. But it feels very much like the kind of thing that would appeal to kids, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. It's the way kids want to treat adults. (laughs) It's like the most perfectly childish thing in the world to get up in somebody's face and make a loud noise and just be like, nah, 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 nah. Or like play music really loud next to their ear, which is what the band does to a Fuhrer commander at a couple of moments. And then they have some literal music-based attacks. Uh, The guitarist just like plays a sick riff and it tears the ship apart. (laughs) Uh, And then at one point they use a gong to destroy the window of the bridge of one of the ships. Since all of them can breathe in outer space, doesn't really mean anything, but is destructive and annoying. More like a windshield than anything else. Keeps the mobile suits inside from getting hit by micrometeors. There's that moment where Tron chains Fuhrer Commander to his own ship. And so when he is trying to fly away and and break the chain, he doesn't break the chain. He just tears his own ship in half. That felt very Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. At one point, Command F90 is trying to see the letter that Captain F91 has received and his eyeballs do that like stretched out thing that they do in Looney Tunes sometimes. But I do think we should talk about the name of the band real quick. The Penalty Kick Oldies? Yeah. Sure. Penalty Kick is a reference to soccer, (laughs) to football. They say and do a number of different sports related things. They have a brief volleyball match with some bombs. There's the volleyball match, there's the kicking of bombs or of speakers as though they were soccer balls. I think it does get used outside of a sports context, but in the song lyrics, there's the term hansoku, which is penalty in sports. And then I was curious about the term oldies, so I did some very cursory digging, and it seems that in Japanese... Oldies references much the same thing that it would in English, music from a certain period of time. They're probably talking about American and English hits, like popular songs from the 50s and 60s, which is not the kind of music the band is playing. (laughs) I don't know that we can say much more about that, but it is an interesting juxtaposition. It makes me wonder what kind of major sports things were going on at the time that they would want to maybe name the band for them. And it could be the most like inside joke kind of thing, like Tron Chan being named for the artist's studio, which is named for the Disney movie. Right. Right. It could be an in-joke from like an in-office soccer tournament or something for Mm. all we know. And it's probably like the secret origin of the Penalty Kick Oldies name is probably explained in one of these manga issues. Like the thing about SD Gundam is that we are just like scraping the cream off of the top of a vast soup bowl of churning cannon. There's so much of it hidden away in these manga. And at least according to my very limited understanding of Japanese office culture, mostly gained from manga, it is not uncommon for workplaces when they have like company family days or go on uh, a company retreat to have different departments field sports teams and to play little competitive tournaments among the departments. So. If it were in some way a reference to that, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we may never know. But like you said, maybe it's a deep, deep <laughs> in the in the lore. If only we were delving into every last bit of SD Gundam, which we're not going to do. <laughs> 
Someday, some podcast will pick up where we left off, and they will cover every SD Gundam manga. Love the design of the combined Fuhrer Commander and Captain F-91. It has this kind of like dragony thing going on with wings and a tail. There's double swords that they then bring together in front of them. So it becomes like a laser beam <laughs> cannon. I, yeah, it's cool. cool. Light side, dark side. This is not the first time we've done two rivals like clash and then fuse in order to defeat the secret giant monster big bad. Like that was also how SD Gundam Gaiden ended. Like, I'm not even mad. It works. It works here. It worked there. They'll probably keep doing it. It's just a hallmark of SD Gundam. Just mash those two toys together. So while the final formula is kind of a retread of the, what was it, Knight Superior Dragon from Gundam Gaiden, the Normgather, the big monster, is a great design um, because it feels both new and interesting and, and there's a lot going on with it, but also it is still kind of familiar. It still picks up little elements visually from the Gundam that it's drawing off of. Like, it kind of has a Noya Zeal look to it, especially when it first emerges. And then it also kind of resembles the monstrous Zabi Palace from First Gundam. As with many of the SDs, it's a more organic looking design. There's like mouths and eyeballs oh, yeah. all over it. Uh, it's like 60% mouth. 30% eyeball, and then 10% snake. Not a pleasant ratio. I will say, if um, I think if you have been avoiding SD Gundam because you think it's just not very good, you owe it to yourself to give this one a shot. This is probably the best looking and best sounding of the SD Gundams so far. I don't think it's the funniest. It has some great moments, but it plays a lot of the space struggle between F-91 and Fuhrer Commander straight, and lacks some of the creative thrill and Gundam-based humor of some of the earlier efforts. But it's solid, and especially if you're a Macross 7 fan, I think you really ought to watch it. It's so short, it would have to be pretty bad <laughs> not to recommend <laughs> it. I mean, it's it doesn't feel special or revolutionary particularly, but it's fun. To wrap up our discussion, when we first watched this short before we had decided to do the little research-only interlude, I did write some next time-ons for this short, and a few of them are funny enough that I want to say them even though <laughs> I didn't get to use them as next time-ons. <clears throat> first up, Garms? They call him Garms? Oh no, wait, that's G-Arms. <laughs> Yeah, G-Arms Zabi, the youngest of the Zabi clan. I'm going to call him Garms now. <laughs> Sorry, Garma fans. He's Garms now. Are those Bernerns on that pop star's back? <laughs> oh, no, they're speakers. They just look like Bernerns. <laughs> Bernerns is just fun to say. It's Come too on. much fun, no. <laughs> Human characters are wearing mobile suit masks. Mobile suit characters are wearing different mobile suit masks. The traditional method for settling conflicts, space volleyball. Extremely Looney Tunes behavior. And it wasn't me, the accidental freeing of an ancient evil remix. So those have been our last time ons. <laughs> this time ons, the linear nature of time is troublesome. Next time on episode 9.12, Tom researches the Homo Avis flying machine from Zeta Gundam while we translate the second part of SD Gundam Matsuri. Don't worry, it won't take as long as part one. And a heads up that 
two weeks from now, we will be taking a week off for a friend's wedding. Very exciting stuff. Should be a lot of fun. And then we'll be right back to working on SD Gundam Matsuri with fill-ins of old research ideas. Until then, stay Genki, folks. Mobile Suit Breakdown is written, recorded, and produced by us, Tom and Nina, in scenic New York City, within the ancestral and unceded land of the Lenape people, and made possible by listeners like you. The opening track is Wasp by Misha Dioxin. The closing music is Long Way Home by Spinning Ratio. The recap music was Olivia by Heisen. You can find links to the sources for our research, the music used in the episode, additional information about the Lenape people, and more in the show notes and on our website, GundamPodcast.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram at GundamPodcast, or by email to hosts at GundamPodcast.com. And thank you for listening. Are we ready to dust off those talkback muscles? <laughs> yeah. Every time we do one of these after not having done one for a while, I feel like Ron Howard doing narration of that new season of Arrested Development they did for Netflix. How do you mean? Oh, and in the very first episode, when he first goes into narrator voice again, he like starts a line, sort of like clears his throat, and <laughs> puts himself back <coughs> into his... <clears throat> Uh, narrator voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was, <clears throat> it was May fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, as any comedian will tell you, nothing is better than being told that your joke was funny, especially if it didn't get a laugh in the moment. One of them has like a, a what is it called when the, the hair goes straight up? Well, it's like a, um. It's not a flat top because it's all spiky on top. But like, that's also not a pompadour. No. Um, I mean, he basically just has his hair spiked straight up, and it's lavender colored. I wondered uh, very briefly whether the monkey bot was based on Data, the monkey bot from Mega Man Legends. But it seems that Data is only in Mega Man Legends which didn't come out in Japan until 97. Ten percent snake? Not a pleasant ratio. The cars outside agree. (laughs) 